Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 70th episode of the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast, and as always, I do appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to this podcast. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there, so I am happy that you are listening to this one. And as I've done every 10th episode of the podcast thus far, this is the seventh time I'm doing this, I'm going to interact with feedback that I receive from you and also from readers of the website. I enjoy getting this kind of feedback, and it comes in many different forms, the different forms I host through the website and social media. I would say that my favorite is probably email, just because I know that I'm seeing you and you're seeing me, and there's no social media algorithm that's controlling our interaction with one another. So if you have feedback about this episode, any other episode of the podcast, or anything I've written on Casting Across, or questions about fly fishing and life in general, I would encourage you to reach out Matthew at castingacross.com. I will get back to you. As long as my email host doesn't think you are junk, I will get back to you. Because I don't think you're junk. I think what you have to say is valuable. Speaking of emails, first email that I wanted to interact with today is from Dennis. This is what Dennis writes. He says, Matthew, I'm enjoying your podcast and website and gave you a well-deserved five-star review. Uh, editor's note, if you think I deserve a well-deserved deserved five-star review, then go ahead and leave that at your convenience. Back to the email. I reached out to you before about three weight rods for brook trout, but have a couple of specific questions for you. Pause. Then Dennis asked a couple questions about a couple different brands, and I have experience with a few of those, not with all of them, but I don't want to rehash all that in the podcast. He also says, do you still recommend graphite over glass for brookies? Thanks. Well, Dennis, thank you for getting a hold of me. Thank you for asking questions about fly rods. And for asking a very broad question regarding graphite or glass, this is a much better question, in my opinion, than which rod should I get? Not that that's a bad question, especially if two rods are very similar in the way that they perform, but I think this is a good starting point for somebody who's looking to get a fly rod, really of any kind, but especially for those light line weights. That is probably the biggest kind of point of contention. Should I get a fiberglass rod or should I get a carbon fiber rod? Now, I like them both. I'm actually, let me turn around. I'm holding in my hand right now. You can hear it. That's the rod shaking around in its tube. A very cool fiberglass fly rod that is specifically designed for small streams. And I got it two days ago. I'm excited about taking it out. It is 
incredibly light and very, very short, and I'm looking forward to seeing what I can do with it. But that being said, I prefer, if all things being equal, you said you can only have one fly rod for fishing small streams, I would prefer a medium fast action graphite rod. And I think I've mentioned this before in a couple of other small stream fly rod podcasts, but the reason for that is it gives me an opportunity to really control my bat cast for laying the fly down, for fighting the fish, for uh, having the, the power to throw the kind of flies that you're going to throw on a small stream. You can get away with any sort of rod and do that. Uh, you just need something with enough power, which it doesn't require a whole lot of power, but a line weight size where you can throw the kind of flies that you're going to be throwing. But I do like to be able to control my back cast when I'm on small streams. And so for me, a medium fast graphite rod in a three weight or a two weight or even a four weight is still going to be light enough where I can make those delicate presentations and I can still feel fish, but I'm able to manipulate my back cast and my forward cast, whether that be a traditional overhead cast or something off the side or even just something cutesy and creative to kind of get my fly exactly where I need it. Fiberglass, although there's a lot faster fiberglass today than there even was 10 years ago, I still don't think is usually as responsive. So that's why, again, that this is this is if I were to pick one right now, but you might, for your casting stroke, be able to perform those exercises as far as controlling your back cast and the entire trajectory of your cast with a fiberglass rod or with a uh, bamboo rod. I have a bamboo rod that I do fish a lot on small streams. I just know that I'm going to have to really adapt my casting stroke and pay attention to my back cast a lot more than I would if I had my seven foot three weight that I just feel like is an extension of my arm. So that is kind of my benchmark. But that being said, I think that there's a lot of awesome fiberglass rods, and I have a couple of lighter weight fiberglass rods that I do fish. I just tend to fish them on streams that are a little bit more open, where I'm not having to worry about throwing really tight, controlled loops, where I can allow that cast to kind of open up a little bit more and uh, be able to put the fly where I want it to by not really paying attention exactly where my back cast is. That might sound persnickety, but I think when I get down to really the deep analysis of why I go with one rod over another, that is it. But like I said, this little one weight that I am staring at, I'm really excited about getting it on the water and seeing it what it can do. And it's a faster fiberglass. I've cast other rods in the series, and I know that they are a little bit more responsive than some of your stereotypical fiberglass rods. So this one is going to... uh, I think be a a lot of fun and I'll be sure to report back on that. But Dennis, hopefully uh, my emails and that is a little bit helpful. But again, I would just say cast them. And really, if you have to get two lightweight rods, one in graphite, one in fiberglass, I don't think that's the worst problem in the world. All right. This is from Alex. And in response to the podcast, three things I wish I knew about fly tying. And Alex was actually the one who gave me the idea about doing the podcast, three things I wish I knew fly tying. This is what Alex says. Thanks for this episode. I definitely want to get into tying in the future when life grants me some more free time. Any beginner kits that are maybe better than others? Also, what would you say are the most important pieces of equipment for tying or where the money should really be spent? Alex, thanks again for the idea. Thank you for getting in touch with me and asking a very good question. And I have to say, I don't have a great answer as far as beginner fly tying kits. 
the ones that I have experience with, I'm not terribly fond of. But I'm sure there's some good ones out there. I just don't have enough of an opinion or enough education to really make that uh, recommendation. What I can answer is the most important pieces of equipment for tying. I would say start with a vise. Now, of course, the problem with that is that you're going really to the top of the price spectrum when you're talking about fly tying gear. You're starting at maybe 100 bucks and going, I mean, just as high as you want to go. But if you really want to commit to fly tying, getting a quality vise matters because it will allow you to do more things and do more things well. Your equipment and your materials are going to be nickel and dime purchases. Now you can spend a lot of money on a pair of scissors and a bobbin and obviously on a hackle or something like that. But I found that you can do very, very well with an $8 pair of scissors, with a $12 bobbin, with a inexpensive pair of hackle pliers. You can buy the two and three dollar synthetic materials that you need to do most of your fly tying, two or three dollar little packets of dubbing that you can try out all the different brands. And I said said in the episode things I knew, you know, really being able to do that, say I like working with this blend or this dubbing, I like this style of feather, this is that style of feather, and being comfortable with those materials as you learn how to tie is much more valuable than trying everything all at once. Being able to hone in some skills using some materials that you like, that you enjoy using, that that matters. And that's a very, very short expense. I mean, I bought a bunch of random stuff that I just wanted to try the other day. And it was maybe a $25 bill walking out of that fly shop. Um, just not very expensive to buy little packets of things. Hooks a little bit pricey, but they're necessary and you can't get around that. And you're better to buy good hooks than bad hooks. But again, a vice matters because having that hook move on you, it's not only dangerous, but it is very, very frustrating. So to get a vice that you can manipulate well and a vice that is going to hold that hook well, one that maybe even has a rotary function depending on the type of flies that you're tying. If you're going to be wrapping a lot of materials and you're going to want that to look good, then getting that rotary function is good. If you're using a lot of the resins uh, to build up bodies or just to add a little bit of something to your fly, then maybe having that rotary function is nice. But I think that when I look at my tying setup, the one thing that I've always wanted to upgrade on a very routine basis is my vice. I'm actually at that point now. And so if anyone has a favorite vice, I've got a couple I've got my eye on, but let me know what, what you like to tie on. I would say that that's where you want to spend your money. Now, don't necessarily go all out and go $350, $400, but for $150, you can get a really good vice that is going to last and it's also going to allow you to tie without getting frustrated by hook slipping and by tension wearing out quickly and things like that. I would say that's the biggest weak link in those beginner fly tying kits is that that vice is just not going to give you the kind of tension you need to apply any sort of tension with your thread and be able to do some of the things you want to do. I mean, forget about spinning deer hair. Um, forget about tying uh, bigger saltwater patterns where you really need to um, cinch things down on there. So other people might have other opinions, but in, in my opinion, that's where you want to sink the money first. And then actually one more thing, and I think I mentioned this in that podcast also, if you have a fly shop that will sell a one fly kit, I know that Postfly does this, but you know that's online. It's certainly worth checking out. But for a pretty reasonable amount of money, you get all the equipment that you need. And by equipment, I mean, excuse me, tying materials that you need 
for tying one particular fly. And so you get everything. You don't have to go to the store and make sure that all of your sizes match. You know, your chenille's way too big, your hackle's way too small, and all of a sudden now your woolly bugger looks like something that a three-year-old drew. You're getting exactly what you need. And so that's a cool way to get just the equipment that you absolutely need to tie one fly and move forward and figure out that fly and that's pretty short money also so thanks for getting in touch and uh, the podcast recommendation again alex all right the third thing i wanted to read is actually two pieces of um feedback but about the same topic so the first one's from martin regarding my article come meet mr chesney which was an article I wrote about when I was 16 years old at a conservation camp, a trial limited conservation camp uh, in Pennsylvania. And I got to meet a gentleman uh, named Mr. Jim Chesney, and he was a local angler and did a lot of work with the Fish and Boat Commission and Trout Unlimited and things like that. And he passed away right around the time I wrote this article. And uh, this is what Martin says. Very nicely written. I was a teen in Northern Virginia in the 80s and 90s, and I'd also drive the two hours to fish in Cumberland County all the time. Some of my fondest memories involve Latorte Meadows, but few trout. And then Bob, about an article called Brown Trout and Fly Fishing Ghosts, wrote this. Lived in Dauphin, just north of Harrisburg for quite a while. Loved the Latorte, and I learned a lot. Thanks for rekindling some fond memories. I'm smiling like the butcher's dog. So both of those articles, Meet Mr. Chesney and Brown Trout and Fly Fishing Ghosts, were about fishing in Pennsylvania's Cumberland County. Uh, the Yellow Breaches, Latorte Spring Run, uh, Big Spring Creek, Falling Springs Branch, and then lots of other streams that I don't even want to talk about because I might make people that live there angry. But I spent an awesome seven years there um, living there. And then prior to that, I would drive up, as Martin said, from Northern Virginia to fish. And I know I've talked about it before on the podcast, but it's a really fun time in my life. And it was an incredibly formative experience for me. And and exactly the what I like to write about and talk about in Casting Across, and that is the quarry and the culture. When I was there, I got to fish for some awesome fish. Rising brown trout on the Latorte was just one of the more amazing and fun opportunities I've had when I got to know that stream and really just scratched the surface on figuring out how to catch those fish. That was awesome. And then fishing for a fishery that was kind of in recovery in Big Spring and then just the um, nostalgia for me personally of fishing the Yellow Breaches, the very first stream that I fished for trout. And, and with a fly rod and living on the yellow breaches for a number of years, I was able to just spend so much time there and really uh, unpack a lot of what that river had to offer. So these guys both wrote about nostalgia. And for me, that makes me happy that I can just tap into a little bit of something that somebody else might be feeling and thinking about. That's uh, something that I really enjoy. And I try not to write too many stories and get too nostalgic because I think sometimes if, if you're not kind of in that same um, kind of realm, either in mindset or in proximity, then it can uh, just be a little bit repetitive and a little bit too much like, you know, off the rack fly fishing writing. But it was cool that I've gotten a lot of feedback about uh, Pennsylvania fly fishing from a lot of people. And I really enjoy interacting with folks. That's the other half of that. So there's the quarry and then there's the culture. And when I was in Pennsylvania, whether it be through the Pennsylvania Fly Fishing Conservation and Youth Camp or the uh, Trout Unlimited chapter there, or even just people I knew from the fly shops and the streams, it was a really kind of experience 
expanding my perspective on what fly fishing was. I learned a lot about fly fishing. I had a lot of awesome relationships and uh, just really got to appreciate the history and what's happening in fly fishing today. So for me, the, the tethering point for a lot of that stuff, although I spent a lot of time in Virginia and a lot of time in Maryland and time in the Carolinas, and I've been up here in New England for a long time, it's always going to be kind of my home away from home streams down there in the Cumberland Valley. So it's fun to be able to touch base with people that are still fishing there or that have also had similar experiences of having that be their home stream, even though they live a few hours away. This week on Casting Across, I had two articles, and the first one was called Fly Fishing Podcast Worth Listening to Part 12. All right. So one of the very first articles that had pop on Casting Across that got like a lot of people reading it uh, was the very first fly fishing podcast worth listening to article. And, uh, you know, podcasts are what they are. Obviously, I'm currently recording one and you're currently listening to one. But I just really enjoy being able to hear other people's voices. And what I mentioned in this article is that I find myself listening to more contemporary voices than reading. So I'm listening to new stuff more than I'm reading new stuff. I'm trying to read more old stuff and listen to new stuff. And for a few reasons, uh, one of which is I think I write better when I'm not reading other people who are writing at the same time. That might sound abstract, but for me, it just does something to my process. And maybe that sounds very crazy, but it doesn't mean I've cut out reading all contemporary voices in fly fishing, I just kind of save them until times where I've got a bunch of writing already done, or I'm not going to be writing anything particularly creative in the near future. So podcasts are great for me because when I hear someone's inflection, it's just so incredibly personal. And uh, writing can absolutely be that way also. But when you hear someone's inflection, and then most of these podcasts are also interview or conversation style, it's just so very different from what I do. So it, I don't feel like it has any sort of bearing on my writing or my podcasting. So I uh, love listening to podcasts, and I did have a question and a request for you, and I'll, I'll bring that up in the recommendation section at the very end of this podcast. But my second article that I wrote this week is called The First Flybox. My very first fly box was not a fly box, but I didn't know any better at the time. Looking back, it most certainly was a fly box. Now, if that sounds like a riddle or a parable, then uh, you're going to have to go read the article and figure out what that means. I had a little Plano Micro Magnum, and I still have the thing. It's um, a little bit bigger than uh, the, the kind of the face of an iPhone. Um, double-sided thing. I could fit all my flies in it when I first started fly fishing and to the point where I had to buy a second Plano Micro Magnum. This one in burnt orange, still translucent, but uh, I could tell my nymphs and my dries apart a little bit easier once I got that. But I wrote about my experience with this goofy little box that wasn't really a fly box, but that was a fly box. And you can read that at castingacross.com. This week's recommendation on the podcast is I am recommending that you tell me your favorite fly fishing podcast. Please write in Matthew at castingacross.com or leave a comment on the bottom of the show notes of this podcast's page at castingacross.com. You go to the bottom after the text and the little click where you can listen to the podcast on your browser and there's a comment box. But I want to know what else is out there. 
I'm really in a, not in a rut because I really enjoy what I'm listening to. I don't feel like I'm stymied by uh, the five, six, seven fly fishing podcasts that I rotate through, but I also listen to a lot of other podcasts about a lot of other things, um, history, current events, uh, religion, and so I haven't really branched out too much on other podcasts. And so when I write these articles, part of me wants to say, you know what, I'm going to the same well over and over again. But I enjoy these things. That being said, I'd love to introduce some new things to my listeners. If you think that a fly fishing podcast deserves it, please let me know who it is and uh, why you think so. And maybe an episode, kind of like I do in these uh, podcasts worth listening to articles where I don't just say, listen to this podcast. I give you an episode and I say what's really neat about this episode and what's worth checking out in that episode. So if you could do that, my listeners, I would absolutely appreciate it. I, uh, I thank you for it. And the last thing, kind of on the podcast note, thank you for all the listening and the downloads and the subscriptions and the ratings and the reviews. I do appreciate it. I know that, uh, as I mentioned a few podcasts ago, it only takes a few clicks, but I know what a few clicks take. I mean, you get an app that pops up and asks you to, you know, do you like this app? And I always say no, even if I do, because it does take a little bit of work. And so I've felt hypocritical and have started rating um, apps and things like that because I've been asking people to rate this podcast. And I guess on a corollary note with that, you know, if you have somebody that you fish with, please share the podcast. If you have a Trout Unlimited chapter with that you do things with or a fly tying circle, uh, share the podcast. I truly appreciate all of that free publicity that you get. And I guarantee you, this mark my words, um, if you do that, I will share a percentage of the revenue that I get from this podcast with you, which currently stands at 0.00. Again, I do this for fun, and uh, I hope people are listening to it for fun. So I do appreciate all the ratings, reviews, subscriptions, downloads, listens, and shares that you may have. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. 